1: Hello, I'm Scott Soschnick. And I'm Evan Novi williams and this is The Data's The New Oil Sports Business Podcast, The Sportacast.
2: It's the data, stupid. It's the data. We are joined by Laura Andriani, VP Consulting at Two Circles. First of all, what's with the name? What, do you know the derivation of Two Circles? Because there seems like many more circles.
0: Um, there are a couple of different uh, theories that float around around Two Circles. So there's, and no,
2: there's, real, no, an- there's no real answer? There's theories floating I around don't the think, office? I,
0: think, I don't think that the theory has ever actually been confirmed.
2: All right. Well, what's, what's the theory you believe?
0: Um, well, the theory that I that I'm going to go with is the one that I heard, which is that um, one of our founders was, I believe, uh, uh, well, is a runner. And uh, I think they I think that they ran. They ran the 1600, I think it was or no, the 800. And I think because the 800 is two laps around. Oh. Um, that's where it's the not two a circle. circles came from. It's not a circle. I <laughs> mean, you almost. have to kind of use your own interpretation.
2: All right, well, well, we'll let that go. But anyway, I want to hit you with a quote right off, off the bat, because we're going to do a lot about data today. I know, I know you love data, but Evan and I used to work at Bloomberg, and I think you're going to love this quote from one Mike Bloomberg. People have asked him, oh, what's the ethos? What, you know, how do you create? What, what do you think about? Very simple quote from Mike Bloomberg. In God we trust. Everyone else bring data. I like that. Yeah, you, you can see. I'm just curious. We hear a lot about data these days, right? But I'm not really sure people sort of get the all-encompassing. Like, what does that mean? It's like, oh, you need data to drive. You need the data. You need the data. Uh, I feel like the Seinfeld, you you can take the reservation. You can't hold the reservation. Everyone can get the data. Well, you know, it's easy to get plenty of data. (laughs) Distilling that data seems to be the challenge. Is that correct?
0: Yeah, I think that's probably where a lot of people find themselves is that they have access to it, but they don't know exactly what to do with it or they kind of know. And then once they start getting into it, they're like, Oh my gosh, am I even doing this the right way? Um, so it's, it's very kind of um, you can kind of get lost really quickly. If you try to just kind of dig into the data without really having a plan.
2: Well, I, I like on the, on the two circles website, you have the sign that says we use data to grow every revenue line in sports, every Revenue line in sports. How do you dive? Where do you dive? How many people does it take? What's the expertise? Again, nice slogan, but what does it mean?
0: The way that I see it, um, one, of the, one of the data points that's kind of thrown around, uh, but it is pretty impressive, is that Two Circles processes more data on sports fans than any other organization on, on the planet. And what that means is that we can tap into literally billions of, you know, different sports fans and what they consume and why they consume it and where they're consuming it and, you know, what they like, what they don't like, how they're engaging. Um, So we sit on a lot of data, but I think because of that, we actually have learned a lot much more quickly than others because we've just got a lot of a lot of stuff that we can sort through.
2: Let, Let me ask you this. How much of that requires cooperation? at the end of the chain, the consumer, the fan? And how much stuff do you just have because people show up, they give you their credit card, they bought a a shirt, you know their favorite. But how much do they have to help you? And how much do you have inherently just because they show up?
0: I mean, I'd say it depends on every project and every client that we work with. But uh, there's a lot of data that's... um, I don't want to say that it's like legacy data, but there's a lot of stuff that our clients come to us with and they say, I've been sitting on this for years and maybe it is active data that uh, that, a, that a consumer gave them um, you know, because they purchased a ticket, for example. But there might be other stuff that they're sitting on that they don't even know about. And once we start digging into it and asking, Let's do you have this? And how's that set up? Uh, so the the unrealized goldmine,
2: been the unrealized yeah. goldmine.
1: What are some of these data streams that, that we might not, think i mean some of them feel kind of obvious to me where someone lives what what their income bracket might be what kind of car they drive who they're a fan of things like that but but i assume you guys are also diving into much different and and maybe more obscure data streams that i might not even realize are are really valuable for x or y reason give us a sense of, of of kind of the breadth of where you guys are pulling information from
0: i think that there's yeah there are the obvious ones that you stated i think we also think about um the type of once we're, where we where the real, like kind of like turbocharge charge comes, comes into play is when we have lots of different data sources that we can find a connection. So mm. we can find ways of layering these data sources together and validating them and finding that they're actually accurate. And that's kind of like the layer on top where it's individually these data sets have value, but actually once you start putting them together that's where you say, oh, I've got a client who has this tournament over here and this event over there. And those all the data behind that is sitting in two different areas. And once we pull them together, it's whole, oh, this is like much more valuable than we thought.
1: I, I told this story on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, but but there, I believe it was the the St. Louis Blues, their arena. A couple of years ago, they ended up with a ginger pot sticker in their concessions because they had seen that supermarkets in the St. Louis area we're selling a lot more ginger than other supermarkets and cities around the country, and I thought that was such an interesting example of the kind of thing supermarket purchases citywide that, that ends up uh, being an actionable piece of item for us for a sports team that I would never have thought of being. And I don't I don't know who kind of put it, came up with that or, or put the connection together. The spots the pot stickers sold really well, from what I understand. But I'm always interested in seeing kind of what people where people go to find value in ways that, that is not immediately apparent.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think there's a lot of, like, a lot of that stuff kind of, in my experience, sometimes gets discovered or or uncovered, like, unexpectedly, it's something yeah. that, you know, is is literally conversation, you know, two friends are having, and then they start to say, Oh, why don't we look into this? Um, and it wasn't originally in the plan. And then suddenly, there you go.
1: Is there one of those that jumps out to you in your career that, that just kind of popped up in conversation? And you were like, Oh, hmm, that's interesting. Maybe let, let's pull some strings on that and see where it goes. <laughs>
0: Um, I have nothing off the top of my head, but let me let me kind of have the, let that one kind of marinate in the <laughs> back of my head while we chat, and like, if it comes to me, I'll I'll definitely let you know. All right,
2: I know you can't be specific as a client and whatever, but give us an example recently where a client came to you and said, "This is our problem," or we need help with, and the reaction was uh, instantaneous. Or we can help you. We've done this before. Uh, just give me an example, like a, a tangible example of where a client comes to you and says, I need help with X, and you say, here's solution Y.
0: Um, an example of that, I would say, um, well, we currently, in one of the projects that's, that's very clear and uh, near and dear to my heart because uh, I've worked on it so closely is, uh, is FIFA. And um, we work with FIFA across a, a couple of different areas of their organization. And one of the things that they came to us with uh, was hey we're going to create a digital platform uh that's very fan fan focused and consumer facing and we've never done this before and where do we even begin and uh and we kind of sat down and said well thankfully you have this thing called the world cup so we're going to find a way to uh to build to to kind of build a strategy for you for audience growth um that it's predicated on what we know works based on other clients that we've done this for. We work with NFL on Game Pass. Uh, For example, we've worked with a bunch of different uh, sports sports entities that have their own streaming platforms. And we said, you know, we can absolutely find the way for you to build successful uh, audience growth on a platform that's absolutely brand new.
2: We're chatting with Laura Andriani, VP Consulting at Two Circles. Now, Laura, I do this all the time, but I don't need reams of data. I need one kid, my 13 year old. <laughs> I, I I call him my focus group of one because I could have told the NFL, you want to deal with YouTube, you know. I understand Apple and you know monster company and and they have the MLS. I got it. That's not where you want to be. You want to be on YouTube. You want to figure out a way to have the NFL participation on Snapchat. I mean, is that oversimplifying? I mean, I just kind of keep my eyes open. And I'm like, it's not a surprise to me that YouTube and the NFL came together. That's where my kid and his friends are.
1: Laura is the antithesis of your smallest sample size possible. uh, (laughs) Waxing poetic on this podcast.
0: (laughs) I have, I have no issues with that because I do the same thing. I I have a, I have a 10 year old nephew and I will pick his brain about things and show him my phone and go, do you like this? Do you not like this? What do you think about this? What do you think about that? What are your friends doing on, you know, on YouTube and who you're following. And, um, you know, I'll show him something and go, does this make sense to you? And he'll be like, no, not at all. And I'm like, okay,
2: great. I, I love it. So, but you, so you talked about FIFA and you talked about the world cup obviously it's coming to North America. I will tell you this in my focus group of one and his pals, they got into it. Like they really did get into it. Now, there was some song. I don't know who I, I really, this is where I, I stopped being cool and hip, but it's like World Cup and they name every single country in it and he's singing it all over the place. They're all talking about Kylian Mbappe like they've known his name for 10 years and they just learned about him last week. So you said, you know, to FIFA, okay, well, we've done this before. We're going to teach you where to start. Where do we go? What, what was successful from this World Cup and now moving forward how do you build the soccer audience? And I would say particularly in the US because uh, you know I, I know it's uh, pretty popular elsewhere in the world, but now you're coming to the number one sports marketing um, uh, fiefdom in the world here. You got to figure out how do we capture audience here?
0: Yeah, that's exactly where our minds are. And it's, um, it's going to be a really unique one because of the fact that the US sports market is not dominated by a single sport, right? And so we have to find ways to um, not just kind of take the fans who already love soccer and get them even more engaged and get them even more excited. But we actually have to go find the new fans. We have to find the fans who've been, you know, lifelong NFL fans and that's their sport. And we have to bring them into the fold and the same with every other sport. And then we have to find people who are not necessarily fans of any of those sports. And make Where do, them soccer where do you fans. start
2: looking, if I may? Where, where does that search begin?
0: I mean, I think it's very helpful that this World Cup was um, really, by all accounts, FIFA's most successful digitally speaking. And so what that does is that sets us up really well for the 2026
2: Uh, World uh, Cup. Let me just ask you this. Is that just a byproduct of being this point in time that digital is growing? And, or, I mean, obviously, it would have been 20 years ago. It would make perfect sense. Did they do something? Or is it just, well, of course it is, because that's probably true of everybody.
0: Yeah, I I had a feeling you were going to ask me this, and I was giving some thought to it. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Because it's easy, right? It's easy to say, oh, well, naturally, you know that the world changes every four years and it evolves. And so therefore, obviously your numbers are going to be bigger. Um, But I think it's more than that. I think it was that FIFA took a very digital first approach to everything that they did. And it wasn't just let's do the same old and then just naturally we're going to ride the wave of, you know, more people are using social platforms and more people are watching highlights on their phone. Um, They really pushed into you know, they leaned into that um, very hard. And so I think the thought is that, you know, the more that we invest in doing things that are digital first um, and digital natural, you know, that's not a, it's not an add-on. It's we're just doing this digitally and we're going to do it the absolute benchmark. We're going to set that. Um, I think that sets us up really well for, for a 2026 uh, because we've come out of this, you know, this World Cup with with a ton of data that we're still sifting through, to be honest with you.
1: FIFA seems like such a, and correct me if I'm wrong, seems like such a hard one from a data standpoint, just because everyone in the globe is a fan, right? And and in the NFL, there's a diverse set of fans because America is pretty diverse, but you have a sense of who the NFL fans are, where they live in America, generally what language they speak. FIFA fans range from the the poorest person in Timbu Bhutan to the richest person in Zurich, Switzerland. Did you just, did you just steal
2: Timbu Bhutan? <laughs> my my one stop like <laughs> David Stern story town for I, I this. Did,
1: I did. It's, it's the, it's the favorite international city of the wow. podcast. All right. I'm, a, I'm, um, I'm
2: making a mental note of that one, Novi Williams,
1: <laughs> but going back to my point. Yeah. It just seems as though, and, and maybe this is an opportunity for you guys also, but the fact that everybody and every language in every religion, every culture, and every part of the world theoretically is 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 and can be a world cup fan to me seems like such a hard challenge of of tailoring whatever fifa's outreach is digitally right now
0: you're you're absolutely right and it's one of those like how do you be all things to all people and that's a that's a difficult one on one hand you could say well it's quite easy i mean just focus on you know focus on the tournament and the players and the excitement like how could you not be captivated by what we all just watched um But I think what we tried to um, kind of build was it has to go beyond that. Um, The fact that FIFA Plus uh, is available in 10 different language editions and during the World Cup had a very localized strategy to say, we're not just gonna blanket, do the same thing in every market. That actually allowed us to bring in the data and say, okay, we did these things in Indonesia and we did these things in Italy and we did these things in the U.S. What are we learning from that so that next time we go into the World Cup or really the, the Women's World Cup is in the six months, we've got other events that are going to happen. How do we now have a depth of data that's very localized? Because when we get into the U.S., we're going to have to do things at, at that, that level.
1: How do you guys separate or or how much are you able to take learnings from one client, let's say FIFA. And then when the premier league wants to look at what they're doing in Indonesia, are you able to, to, to use some of the information you've learned? Are they, are they totally siloed? How do you manage kind of taking learnings from others while protecting obviously the privacy that, that everyone in the sports world wants?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we hold the privacy of the, of the data of our clients that, you know, the, Absolute top priority. Um, everything that we do share internally is um, is anonymized data, um, and then we also just, you know, we keep uh, a very kind of anecdotal mindset. So I might ping a friend of mine who works on a different account and say, "Hey, you know, I'm dealing with this challenge with X Y Z client. Um, have you ever done anything like this before?" And we'll, you know, we we keep things at a level where it's It's helpful and it's good advice, but always um, with, you know, kind of either an anonymized set of data or we do our own uh, kind of internal uh, benchmarking. We have this uh, internal tool that's really cool. We call it the Good Scale, and it essentially allows uh, anyone at the company to kind of go in and look at benchmark data for things like, uh, you know, retention metrics and social engagements and... This way, if someone comes to us and says, I have this issue, I have this stuff, I don't know if it's good or not, what is good? We have a really um, tried and true, accurate way of saying, hey, listen, I can't give you your competitors data, but I can tell you what the industry benchmark is. And that's because I have direct access to that data. So, Scott, we need a good scale. (laughs)
2: <laughs> yeah, we I, I, I need that. Well, I mean, we do. I mean, we we drill down. We use data analytics to see which stories pop and when, and you know who's read the most, and you know, things like social flow to see what's popular around the world and which stories work best off social flow. I mean, we we use data analytics as well, so um, it's it's no surprise. I mean, everybody is captivated by data. But again, I have the same problem. I think that we talked about at the top of the show. I have so many data analytics tools at my fingertips, that one, it's too many, two, it's too damn confusing. And I have to go to our people and say, listen, you guys are the experts. You guys distill the data for me. And I I just would rather be told what to do. I mean, and I've never said that about any part of my life. But in this one, just tell me what to do. You're the experts here. It's just too much. It's overwhelming. I've actually streamlined the the number of analytics tools uh, on my desktop. It's just too much. So I I assume it can be overwhelming for you, for the clients, um, all over. It's it's sort of like maybe sometimes less is more. Just let me focus on something narrow.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I take a very similar approach in some of the bigger projects that, that I've worked on, which is like I as one person can't try to dig into the weeds across. An entire suite of of marketing channels, you know. As a marketer, I I just don't have I don't have the capacity or the brain power to do that. So it's about leaning on the people who are the subject matter experts and saying, I can tap you know a friend on the shoulder and say, Hey, give me the insights that you extract from the data, and then help me make a decision based off of that. And we do that across the board, and then that's you know it's just sometimes that's that's the way you have to work.
1: How often are, are you ever telling people stop looking at that data? Like are you ever telling bad, people bad oh, like data. you're taking, you're taking too much, like get rid of that never look at that again.
2: What's the garbage data? What's the worst data you got there? What what that people <laughs> yeah.
1: what's the what's the popular
2: thing that's garbage data? <laughs> data? Tell them, give me the garbage that you let everybody else look at it. You have the secret sauce. You know that stuff doesn't work. Give us that.
0: All the all those vanity metrics. Um, I mean, I think that um I think that one of the things I've noticed is like Clients across the board are smarter and savvier than they were, you know, five, six, seven years ago. Uh, and so they're by, asking...
2: By, but by, a, by a factor of how much are they smart? <laughs> I, I mean, I, come on. I, yes, all right. I'm going to give you a byproduct of... That's almost like it's just by being out there. And, oh, they, they even know some of the buzzwords in the industry. But really, by a factor of how much, by and large, are clients smarter about really drilling down in power of data?
0: The ones I've worked with recently have really impressed me with how savvy they are. I'll give you that. Like I'm guessing,
2: I'm not telling stories uh, or tales out of school here. Everybody knows like the New England Patriots are very data driven and it all comes from their core, like, you know, cardboard business. The metrics they they started in the core business moved over to the sports component. And I think others Mm -hmm. do that as well. So um, that doesn't surprise me. But by and large, where do you think we are on the bell curve of adoption of data and analytics? Because I mean, you you still hear just on the sports side, um, oh, it's just numbers driven; these numbers geeks and they're ruining sports. And where is it on the business side? I'm, I'm guessing there's probably more adoption or adoption, excuse me, on the uh, on the business side.
0: Yeah, I think that on the business side, the adoption. I don't know if we've hit the, the top of that bell curve yet. Yeah, I don't think we have. But I think that um, the the folks in the C-suites that are making the big decisions at every major sports league and sports property, um, not just in the US, but the global ones, I think that they know that they can't afford to necessarily lean on the the kind of, the maybe let's call it the more gut instinct uh, way of doing business. I think they know that they have to um, be more scientific and more data-driven in their approaches. Um, But I think there's probably room for growth. And I think when you get to some of the smaller and the mid-tier sports properties, that's where they want to be, but maybe they just don't have the infrastructure or the resource to be. And so that's where, you know, two circles can come in and help them out.
1: How do you think sports teams and and leagues compare to Businesses in other industries that are roughly their same size in terms of of data usage. Oh, I
2: hope you, I (laughs) hope you give the answer that Eben wants because I'm gonna, I'm gonna jump in here and I'm gonna give you the clue here, Laura. Eben's thinks sports teams are stupid. I don't. That's not. Yes, you do. You're like I can't believe they're still doing it this way. This so so far. See now he's gonna get animated, Laura. Here he goes. In the
1: past, in the past 24 hours, I've gotten two cold calls about ticket sales. One from a, a, a team in Chicago, two thousand miles from where I live that i've that I've been to one game to five years ago there there's parts of, of of some of the the legacy business operations within sports teams that I think are are so outdated and everybody is just continually to go down that route. I don't believe that cold calling is the best way to sell tickets anymore. I, I just do not believe that fundamentally. and I am curious how sports teams in an area like data, how, how you see them using data relative to, let's say, a car company or, or something else that that's a multi-billion dollar business just in a different industry.
0: Yeah, I mean, I will, um, on the ticketing side, you, you you stole my thunder a little bit there, Evan, <laughs> because that was the one thing I was going to call out as a, a very, very quick one is like the ticketing, the sports ticketing, especially in the US, is just, it's, so in need of, uh, of a revolution and the way that sports teams process uh, and ask for data that would help them in the future. Um, the, the way that they sell, the idea that you're getting cold calls, um, mm-hmm. That, that can't be. It, the it's, way. Wait
2: a minute, Laura, this seems very easy to me. I can solve every single <laughs> professional sports team's ticket problem in one idea. Just oh one. <laughs> it's so, they just have, again, you just have to pay attention. All yeah. you need <laughs> to do is have Taylor Swift perform at halftime. <laughs> this is not hard. Why are <laughs> you, you this with all ticketing. this data
0: i <laughs> have, have a ticketing, ticketing platform that. That. that works too
2: yeah and you need the ticketing platform that works that that's step two though get a, yeah, get the demand get people to want to come into your building and then i'll worry that's a great problem to have where i've got so many people wanting to come i can't handle it
0: <laughs> exactly. seems like it's i have the problem. solution
2: yeah it seems like i have the solution
0: yeah No, absolutely if you think if you have taylor on speed dial then then you're golden
2: <laughs> but Eben's right. I, I, and you're right. He makes fun of ticketing all the time. He I mean, these are the conversations we have in the office. He's like, I cannot believe that this team is still operating in this fashion. Yeah. I mean, it's it is crazy, like man. the
0: curse. Uh, I, I always tell friends like the curse of working in sports marketing is that as a sports fan, like every, every interaction I have with a team or a league or a retailer, anything having to do with sports, when I watch TV, whatever it is, like, I not just I don't just look at it through the lens of like a fan. I look at it through the lens of marketing and I'm like, oh, why are they doing it that way? Why did they use it? You this? can't why enjoy it. It's just when it's I go to
2: a game, terrible. it's the same when I go to a game, I can't stop thinking about the lead of the story, how I would write it as the game's going on. I can't turn it off. And it seems like you have the same thing just on the marketing and business side of it all.
0: Or when it works really well, yeah. then I'm like, I'm like, you know, showing my wife, like, look at this push notification. I put in on my <laughs> phone because I walked into the concession stand and she's like, I don't care. Uh, and I'm I was like, gonna say, this yeah. is great.
2: <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask you, does she share in the joy and want to
0: have that yeah, conversation or look at, at you like, why are you bothering me? <laughs> That's exactly it. She's like, I don't see what, why you're so excited about this, but that's that's the kind of thing that you, you notice the good in the back, the bad, um, very quickly.
1: You may have just answered this, but if ticketing is on the on the archaic end, what is the specific area that you think sports teams are doing really, really well at when it when it comes to data and to and to fan interaction?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think I think the the whole like location based uh, messaging is is really smart. The idea of contextual targeting is really smart. Um, I think, you know, I think a lot of the um, the content marketing is also an area where it's really growing. Like when you think about, um, when you think about the Premier League and the fact that they know that, you know, um, that, that there's a good amount, but not a huge amount of women who play uh, EPL Fantasy, I'm one of them, although my team's terrible. Um, they're thinking about ways to build content strategies that target me uh, as a woman who's a fan of the ETL. And I think that's the kind of thing that I see and I go, oh, okay, somebody behind the curtain is like Do they just besiege you with like
2: underperforming players?
0: (laughs) No, it's more my (laughs) fault that I'm like (laughs) I accept terrible trades and things like that.
2: (laughs) Just just trying to be helpful. Can I I just want to throw if I may, can I throw a company name at you? And I'm curious sure. for your reaction because you say you're watching, and you're you're watching. Oh, this push notification was great because of where it is in the industry, what it's doing in the industry, what we think they're aggregating, and what we think it will become. I'm just curious for your reaction when I say fanatics.
0: I mean, I think what fanatics is doing is just just awesome. Like I, I I'm super impressed uh, by it it almost feels like and maybe it's just me but i feel like i've known about fanatics for a long time but like in the past i feel like year and a half two years suddenly i'm like oh fanatics is is everywhere and and their marketing is is i would say absolutely much more advanced than what i see elsewhere
2: and they they have this unbelievable just reams of data on their clients. I mean, it makes it successful in all the inter- in the businesses they're trying to get into. I mean, it, at the core, they have a huge database of not only people, but the information behind those people, what they've done, what they buy, who they're fans of. It seems yep. to me like secret exactly. sauce that's successful.
0: And that's something that then helps them translate their business outside of the borders of the US. So once they start working with all of these leagues, these American leagues that want to grow their global footprint, whether it's the NFL or, you know, whoever it they're, they're able to sit on all those, those reams of data and go, okay, we know how this works. Let's go build you an audience of, you know, people in Mexico or people in, you know, England.
1: We, we've got a few minutes left Laura, I, before we let you go. I wanted to add, I assume you go to a lot of sporting events. What was the experience like in Qatar relative to some of the other biggest sporting events that that you've been to?
0: I mean, the experience was was, like overwhelming. I I had, it was my first world cup, uh, like in attendance. Um, and I think fans just had a ball. Like I I was lucky enough to be at the Argentina Mexico game. Um, and the stadium was shaking uh, and the experience was great. Um, fans were having a good time, they were having a good time together, which I think was really remarkable. Um, and uh, yeah, as a fan, I just was like, this is like the best of the best in terms of what it what, what you got to experience.
1: I've spoken with people who were staying in hotel rooms that were convinced that, that no one had used the, the sink before. Like they were the, literally the first person to, to stay in the hotel rooms. Well, shocking.
2: Shocking. Those who yeah. had hotel rooms had a great experience instead of staying three <laughs> hours away in a tent with no lock. What a surprise. <laughs> we're all about experiential here right? a little little fire festival. Uh, I didn't say that, did I? Uh, all right, let's close with this. You know, I have to have one complaint though, Laura, one big complaint and you have to bring this up with your CEO Gareth or or uh, Adam Davis, our friend, you know, who's who's now looking to do uh, your your two circles in in North America and the US. I mean, everybody knows you in, in Europe now, but you're trying to get a, you know, make a name here in the US. So, you know, maybe we're helping out with that. Y- you know, I and I haven't seen this in many places, so maybe it's because it's European company. But when I look up the executives on your website, you, alphabetical order by first name. I mean, to me, that's unacceptable. I can't have it. And, you, <laughs> you know, I, I let you know this was coming. And you said, I'm not the only one to bring this up. So, you know, I have some pull with Gareth and Adam. Can we get this changed?
0: Um, I'll see what I can do. It, it's definitely on somebody's radar. But, um, yeah, two circles, we like to do things a little different. And maybe, you know... There's something, there, there might be something there that you and I don't know about that has to do with, you know, alphabetical by first name.
2: Think about it. If we don't even know the, the derivation of the company name, there's certainly things here we don't know about. You know, I'm, I'm going to say, I'm sending a Gareth an email right now. I want to know what, what the derivation of yeah. two circles want to see if it really was the running. That would be interesting. And lastly, by the way, uh, I'll let you go on this. Uh, I'm a big fan of a particular uh, NBA team owner who told me he's going to lean into predictive analytics. Do you do you think it would be successful if the last two times I went to an arena, you know, I came I came in at 705, then they know I bought a hot dog and I had a soda and my focus group of one wanted the French fries and whatever to have it waiting, even though I may not want it that night. Have it waiting. Waste of time or you think fans are ready for that?
0: I think fans are ready for it. Okay.
2: There we go. I big, think people big are, finger in french fries.
0: Just make my make my experience easy, fast, fun, done.
2: So if I owned a sports team, if yeah. I owned a sports team, uh, if, and by the way, I was, I was emailing with Matt Ishbia this morning. My advice to Matt Ishbia, when he fully takes over the Mercury and the Suns is going to be simple and it's not so hard in Phoenix, but this is a problem in some of the, in some of the bigger cities, ingress and egress. Evan, you're going out to uh, MetLife stadium tonight, right? I am. Yeah. As leave an part, extra Jim. hour to get in, leave an extra hour to get out ingress and egress. please. Pro sports owners, listen to me. Make it easy on the customer. Got any data on that, on on wait times to get in and all that stuff? Do we have that data? I'm sure we do. Good. I'm going to call you back and I want to know where is the worst place (laughs) to go and to to get in and to get out. Uh, Laura Andriani, VP Consulting at Two Circles. Thank you so much. Had a great time.
0: Thanks, guys. This was really fun.
2: All right, Evan. You know, uh, there's nothing we did not know here in terms of teams, leagues organizations, companies leaning into data. But I still find it fascinating how these companies like Two Circles uh, not only get, but distill and then get some actionable suggestions that create change. Uh, I'm Agreed. Fascinated by it.
1: Yeah, and I was serious. I, I think we should have a good scale. Uh, for, I want for a good scale, Our yes. metrics. What, what's good for, for hits? What's good for bounce rate? What's good for social traffic? Hey, I'm trying. Uh, I think you know. I think look it's at it's all a great of it. Idea. No, I know you do. I think it's a good idea. To you know com- You know what's good when
2: I'll, I'm, I'll give you. A, I'll be very I, well. I can give the specific example. This is great today. Everybody quickly. Everybody reading the YouTube NFL story. Yeah. Big company Google. Big league, NFL, big money, $2 billion, P- big, big, big. Big. people want to know what's going on they go to Anthony croupy and read it right away it's I mean it rocketed right up our most red list
1: there, there you go um so yeah good interview I hope everybody had a good holiday Scott I hope you had a good holiday um and yeah we'll, we'll be back later in the week
2: all good he is Evan Novi Williams on the Twitter novi underscore Williams I am Scott soshnik on the Twitter at soshnik our producer is Matt Whitehurst thank you very much Matt our digital media editor is Cor Veltman she loves it when I remind you that the show can be found at Sportcast which is the hub